This morning we're going to be turning back in the scriptures to Ephesians chapter 6, where we have just read a moment ago. Um, and we're going to consider verse number 14 again is our text, continuing on with that which we began last week. Consideration of that which we are told to put on uh, as the defense and the uh, tools of warfare against that which is the enemy of our soul, whether it is the devil or our old man within ourselves or the things that we find that would afflict out of the world. So we're going to be considering this again today. I would just draw your attention again to verse 14. I want you to see there, indeed, those words that we'll be considering. It says in verse 14, Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. This morning I want us to consider then the second thing that we're mentioned to put on. Uh, there in that verse, and that is the breastplate of righteousness. But before we go any further, let's just ask the Lord to meet with us and to speak to us from his word. Our Father, now we would pray that thou wouldst allow the word of God to be used by the Spirit of God to bring to our hearts that which is the truth and message of our God. Lord, I pray that thou wilt overrule all that has to do with us. Lord, whether it is our wandering minds, our fatigued bodies, or just the things that seem to come to mind that would preoccupy us. Lord, I pray that thou wouldst allow us to know a time in which the word of God is used by the hand of God in the hearts of the people that belong to thee. Lord, to this end, I pray that thou wouldst help me as thy servant. I pray that thou wouldst put thy hand upon me, overrule all that has to do with my own heart. I pray this day and allow that only which speaks of Christ to be heard and seen in this time today. Lord, bless us, meet with us, overrule all things that would keep the glory of Christ from being that which we behold in the word of God. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. I would remind you that these words that we have here in Ephesians chapter 6, especially from verse 10 and following, were, as we noted last week, the parting words, if you will, of Paul to the Ephesians, parting words that we might even say were spoken by a father in the faith to those that were his children in the faith. Again, I would have you read back in Acts chapter 20, if you were like uh, a picture or an account of the heart that was in the Ephesians for Paul and also the heart that Paul had for the Ephesians uh, at the time when he announced to them that they would see him physically no more. But here we have his parting words, that which is a prayer, if you will, by Paul uh, instructing them as to what they must give their hearts and minds to as they go on with God. So we have here then in verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord 
and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. There is in those words uh, a counsel and instruction by Paul to put on or to use those things that are provided by God wherein you might see the power and might of God made plain and uh, able to be used in the Christian walk. Well, we might ask then, why is that such an important word that the apostle would make it his last instruction to these people that he loves so much? Well, the answer we have in verse 12. He tells them plainly, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. In other words, Paul is allowing these people to understand and he's trying to teach them that there's a terrible warfare that exists with the devil and his darkness. And again, I would remind you that no Christian can fight that war against the devil and all the things that are listed here in verse 12. No Christian can fight that war in the power of his own flesh and wisdom. Let me put it plainly. No man wins against the devil and the flesh by himself. It doesn't matter how smart you are or how disciplined you are. You will lose that fight. Knowing this, Paul as the father to these people stresses this matter and offers a serious plea to them. He says in verse 11 that we are to put on the armor that God has supplied for this fight. And I would have you to note that his provision is perfectly suited for our fight. The reason is that none of the armor he gives is physical, meaning of this world. Or as Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10 and 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or physical, but mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Those weapons, the ones that win the battle, if used, all relate rather to the successful work of Christ. And again, I would underscore this to you. All these pieces of the armor relate to what Jesus has done. Now, I will admit that I vary some from uh, those who look at this passage as well. Um, there are many who look at it otherwise. But again, I would stress to you that given the nature and the tenor of what we're reading here, we would have to conclude that our weapons are not what we find within ourselves or has come true about us. And I say again, let it be stressed that the picture of the equipped soldier is not a positive picture of how we are to look at our spiritual battling. This is not just some picture that you should understand that will help you to, oh, this is how I should fight, or this is how I should look at my spiritual warfare. In other words, you are to fight as if you were using these pieces of armor. 
Rather, I would suggest to you that here is appointed and revealing instruction about how to war. How to war. My proposition to you this morning is the same as it was last week. And that is simply this, to fight against the wiles and attacks of the devil and the old flesh. There must be a preparation in the spiritual things of God. You must be prepared for this fight. Put it on. Put on the armor. We must be equipped with the graces that are provided by the Lord Jesus. Now, last we noticed the phrase in verse 14 that says, Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. The simplest of summaries is this. That the loins represent that part of our being in which lies the emotions. Emotions and thinking. As Peter refers to in 1 Peter 1.13, that we are to gird up the loins of our mind. Emotions and thinking affect each other. You ever notice that? When you're upset, it affects your thinking. Or when you're not thinking right, it affects your emotions. Yeah, the two go hand in hand. We must have control over our emotions and our mind. Otherwise, we are liable to know the attack of the wicked one and to see it distressing us. So we are to gird or fasten up our emotions with truth. Well, truth is more than just what is true. I want you to understand that. Rather, truth is a reference to the Lord Jesus. Does he not call himself the truth? Does the Lord Jesus ever call himself the truth? John chapter 14, verse 6 says what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the major thrust of this picture about girding up the loins is simply this. That when there is an attack against the emotions or the mind, gird yourself by considering the Lord Jesus and who he is. Remembering what he has done for you. When you get your mind off yourself and onto the Lord Jesus, you will find that there is peace from God. Isn't that what Isaiah says in Isaiah 26 and verse 3? For thou shalt keep in, in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Well, in addition to that extremely important thought is the instruction that we consider today. We are to wear the breastplate of righteousness. This is, along with the previous instruction, a picture of that which preserves and protects. The image is of a piece of armor that is not designed for offensive use, but rather defensive. Righteousness is a breastplate that covers the body and deflects the thrust of the enemy's weapon. So I want us to consider the breastplate of righteousness. My forming uh, of thoughts about this subject are going to be the same. I'm using the same basic um, format that I did last, I, last week. I have two points. I want us to see the picture and the preparation. 
I don't know if I'll do this again next time, but it seems to be a consistency that helps my mind uh, to go through this. So let's think about the breastplate of righteousness. And again, as we did last week, I want to start with the picture. The picture of the breastplate of righteousness. And again, we'll ask some simple questions that reveal what the Apostle Paul is trying to relay in his final words. And again, I want us to understand, and I want to stress with you, that these words teach us how to stand and how to fight in the times when the roaring lion lifts his paw against us. So, I want us to consider the picture. And my first question is going to be this. What is the breastplate? He says, the breastplate of righteousness. It's not just a piece of armor that you take out of your closet and strap on that has some sort of metal to it or design to it that uh, keeps uh, you protected physically. That's not what he's talking about. So if it's not a real physical breastplate, what is this that we are dealing with? Well, here's the focus of the message that I want to bring to you right at the forefront. We are told that the breastplate is righteousness. Hmm. That's going to take some thinking to understand that. The breastplate is righteousness. Now, some have said that this righteousness is our own personal moral uprightness. It is our holy life and our devout walk. Well, um, I have to give place to that a little bit because some of the people that I, or the person that I read that from, I would have to say I have the greatest respect for. But I would have to ask a question on that. Um, How truly strong, can you think with me, how truly strong would such a reflecting on our own uprightness be under the attack of a lying enemy. Now you think about this. If this means that we're talking about your holiness, your success in living an upright moral life, that that to you is a breastplate that protects you from the attack of the, of the wicked one, how effective would that be? Well, I'm going to step back and say certainly... Living a holy life puts a man on more solid ground than if he were living a soiled life. That's obvious. But my question is this. But when there is the attack of Satan, is it not easy for him to bring us to despair because we are not what we should be? Have you ever known the devil to do that to you? Ah, You may say, well, I don't know that I have. You will. You younger ones, you will. You that have been in Christ for a little while, you'd have to say, I know that, you know, it seems like it's all the time. The devil brings me to the place where I just can't stand what I see in myself. He brings me to the point of despair about what I am. You read Pilgrim's Progress. How many times did did Christian lament himself because of what he saw within himself? My question then is this. Where is the strength or protection for our hearts in arguing our own righteous life? Is that possibly what we're talking about here? 
that you, you conclude that you are so well walking before God that there is no place, no chink in which the devil is going to thrust in an accusation that brings you to the place of defeat. Let me change gears here slightly. And I want you to think with me about a very well-known chapter of Scripture. In fact, some of you have memorized this. I ask you this question to support my thought. How does Romans chapter 8 end? When you look at the end of that chapter, the last couple of verses, how does that end? I have a couple of young fellows I should make stand up and quote here because they memorized this whole chapter. They go, oh, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> but uh, think with me, how does it end? Is 38:39. Paul says what? For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Does that sound anything like the verses that Paul refers to in Ephesians chapter 6? For we were against what? principalities against powers and so forth. You have then him saying in Romans 8 virtually the same thing he's saying in Ephesians 6. But in Romans 8 he's saying I am convinced that the powers and the principalities and the enemies against our souls cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ. Isn't that what, how it ends? I mean that's not a hard question for you I think. Is that now how the end of Romans 8 is. Is that the conclusion that he would make? It's very, very pointed. Yes. Well, my question then is this. How does Romans chapter 8 begin? Because the basis or the reason why he comes to that conclusion at the end of the chapter is because of what is true at the beginning of the chapter. Do you remember what he says in verse 1? What does he say? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Romans 8 and verse 1 is the reason why Romans 38 and 39 I'll get it. Romans 8, 38 and 39 are true. That's the basis. In other words, he says in verse 1 of Romans 8... I cannot be condemned. Think about this. You and I cannot be condemned. Therefore, we cannot forfeit the love of God in Christ. You think about this. I cannot be condemned (coughs) by sin or accusation or the fiery dart of the wicked one. Therefore, I do not, cannot, will not ever forfeit the love of God in Christ. Now, I'm going to 
use a word that's a big word to some. Eh, if you understand what it means, you'll become used to it and it won't be a big word anymore. You and I have been justified. We have been justified. Therefore, we cannot forfeit the love of God in Christ. In other words, in the sight of God, we are righteous. Do you understand that just to be justified is to be seen as righteous? Now, I'm going to say something, and this may sound odd at first, but I'll explain this to you in just a moment. Note that I do not say merely that we have been made righteous only. Now, have we been made righteous? The answer is yes. But we have not been made righteous only. If that is as far as you go in this point, the devil will counter that such righteousness changes when you sin. Oh, the Lord made you righteous, but what did you go and do? Therefore, you may have to question your standing with God or just how does God see you? And let me say, he does argue that. The devil does bring that accusation. Has anybody here ever known a time when they hesitated going to the Lord in prayer because they thought perhaps that the mind and the disposition of God toward them has changed because of sin? Have you ever wondered that the Lord, whether he is angry with you (coughs) or that he is not going to accept you when you come? Because you purposefully sinned. You went out there and with knowledge did that which was against your God's law and you rebelled against God. Has there ever been a time when you thought, well, maybe the Lord's not going to receive me now. He's probably angry with me. Here's my point. The Lord does make us righteous. But if you, if you go only that far in your thinking, the devil will argue with you that that changes. My point to you is this. You are not just made righteous, but my point is, Romans 8 and 1, you are righteous. Not made, but you are. Everlastingly unchangeably. You have been made righteous. You have been judged in the sight of God as the same as the Lord Jesus as far as righteousness. What does 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 say? If you want another memory verse to to memorize, that's a good one. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You are not just made righteous with the possibility of it changing by what you do. You are now righteous. You are different. You are a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are unchangeably new. You you are not made righteous, but you are righteous. Now, you say you're quibbling about words, but I think it's an important point. You need to understand that you are righteous, that you are justified. Now, what is justification? 
Well, some of you have memorized the catechism answer to this question. Here's another good thing to memorize. This, this is one that you need to have in your mind all the time. What is justification? Well, our shorter catechism says, justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepteth us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Two parts in God's making you always righteous. He takes away your sin permanently by laying it on the Lord Jesus. He pardons it. He takes it away. You are no longer seen as one who is guilty. And then he imputes to us the Lord Jesus' righteousness, which cannot be taken away. So my point is this. You are constantly seen as righteous by God. We are no longer guilty of our sin, for our sin has been rolled upon the Lord Jesus. There is no argument that the devil can levy that says God is angry. We are unchangeably righteous. That's why I want you to think about this with me for just a moment. What is the righteousness that we're talking about? It is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus that has been imputed to you that cannot change. You are everlastingly righteous in the sight of God. Now, I have another question. What does the breastplate cover? Well, the answer is short. It covers vital organs. You think about this. The breastplate from your shoulders all the way down. In some cases it comes down onto your thighs. Does it have a back on it? Well, there have been some that says it uh, Most of them did. So I'm not going to argue. Only from the front. You have to be facing forward. If you turn your back, they're going to get you. No, let's not go there. It covers vital organs. In other words, a thrust to any one of those places, if not covered by the breastplate, could be fatal. If the enemy's sword or spear makes its way into your heart or to your lungs or to your liver, or, um, any of these that would be covered could be the answer. So, here's a question. What is it that Paul refers to that is a vital organ spiritually? What is it that this righteousness that he wants us to keep in mind covers and makes the devil's attack frustrated and ineffectual. Well, I believe as the loins referred to the emotions and the mind, here you have that which we would consider to be the soul of a man. It's that part of us that lives and has our being. Is that part of us that is saved by the grace of God and in which dwells the Holy Spirit? Let me ask you a question here again. Can the devil 
or our sin, get through the graces of God given to protect us, such as the breastplate of righteousness, and bring us into the state of being lost after the blood of the Lord Jesus has washed us from our sins? Is it possible for the devil to come and make an attack and so do his work that after you have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ so that you are consistently, constantly righteous, is it possible for the devil to make you lost once Christ has saved you? Well, what's the answer to that? Did I ask a hard question? What's the answer to that? Well, the answer is no, he can't. I want you to think with me, if he could, if it's possible that the righteousness that we have been given by God could be changed, as I was making a point a moment ago, if it could be changed, what would the devil have to accomplish or what would have to happen for that to occur? Number one, he would have to pierce the breastplate of righteousness that has been imputed to us everlastingly by Christ. That righteousness would have to be pierced through. What do you, you say, what do you mean? I mean this. The devil would have to have the power, or our sin would have to have the power to have Christ's righteousness shredded from us. We would no longer be righteous. In other words, the atonement of Christ, and I want you to hear me and think of this very deeply. If the devil could do something to make you no longer righteous with God, then the atonement of Christ would have to be undone. It would have to be negated. And it would have to be denounced by God. Now you think about this. If my righteousness can be taken from me, what the Lord Jesus has done to pay for my sin, to make me just with God, to make me righteous in the sight of God, and to make me righteous without change. Then his work would have to be undone. And God would have to denounce it as inadequate, insufficient, inappropriate. And whatever else you could imagine that would be a denunciation of the work of Christ. In other words, God would have to say that the atonement of Christ is no good anymore. If I can lose that which Christ has put upon me then the work of Christ would be rejected. The Father would reject the work of Christ, and therefore he would reject Christ himself. And Romans 8 and 1 would be utterly false. That can't happen. That cannot happen. Christ did not fail. Christ's atonement cannot be rejected. It cannot be undone. The Father can do nothing but bless it and honor it. And glorify it. Do we not have those pictures of Romans chapter, excuse me, Revelation 5, where it speaks of how heaven truly does see the work of the Lord Jesus? 
Again, if you can be made to be one who is not righteous, if that righteousness can be changed, if that breastplate is ineffective to preserve you in the mind and heart of God, then Christ's work would have to be completely set aside. Now, I have another question. What is the function of the breastplate? Well, you say, oh, that's obvious. It protects the vitals. When does it protect the vitals? Okay, think with me about this. You have a soldier. He's got his shield and he's got his sword. He's got his breast. He's got things that are on his legs to protect his legs. He's got his helmet. He goes into battle. And he is in the middle of the battle. When does the breastplate do its work? Well, the answer is this. The breastplate does its work when somehow the thrust of the enemy gets past the shield and sword. You understand what I'm saying? If somehow there's a a movement and the soldier opens himself up and the enemy is quick with his thrust. The shield is not there. The sword is not in the place where it should be. And so the breastplate protects in the event that those two things are not utilized. So, you say, what are you saying? I'm saying this. Sometimes, in our battles with the devil and our old man, we lapse in faith. The shield is the shield of faith, is it not? Do you always walk in faith? Does faith always have the victory? We sing it. Faith is the victory, we know. Do you always, every day of your life, at every moment, walk in the Spirit using faith to guard you from all things that the devil would ever attack you with? What's the answer to that? No, there's a lot of times that faith is not where it ought to be. How about the sword? Do you always wield the sword of God's word as you ought? Well, what's it? No. We have a breastplate that guards our heart, our soul, from the attack of the wicked one because we fail with these other things. Do you see how much there's mercy involved with that? The breastplate is a breastplate of righteousness, but there's a whole lot of mercy that causes that breastplate to shine as it does. So, when we don't use the shield and we don't use the sword as we ought, we find that there are times that we are near defeat. Our souls are cast down. Oh, nobody gets cast down. Oh, really? Have you ever heard these words, Psalm 42? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Who's saying that? The man after God's own heart. Oh yes, there are times when we will become cast down. Let me ask this. Is it possible to be overwhelmed and sick of mind and heart? So sick perhaps that we might even say that a believer suffers from sin sickness? Is it possible to be overwhelmed in your heart? 
Perhaps you don't even know which way is up, so to speak. Psalm 130, uh, 143, verse 4. Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me, and my heart within me is desolate. Yes, there can be times when faith, this, uh, the, the spirit are not being used rightly, and there comes the attack that could bring us to a place being cast down. Well, you need, as an effectual grace from God, that which protects the heart and the soul from the lethal accusations of Apollyon. You need a breastplate. So, what's the answer for a believer who has fallen to such a state that the liar begins to convince that his soul is lost? So I want you to see, this is the point of the battle. The enemy comes to your heart and soul to convince you that you do not have a standing with God. God is mad at you. He's angry. He has removed his hand from you. His blessing is not yours. You are somebody who there is serious questions about. Whether you're even really saved or not. <coughs> now, I will back up and say this. If it's the Spirit of God that can bring it to your mind, maybe I need to close things with God. I need to examine myself. That's a whole other story. But I'm talking about the wicked one bringing these accusations against you. So what's the answer? Well, we come to my second point. I want us to notice the preparation. You see the picture. The righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness is the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to us which cannot change. We are everlastingly, constantly, consistently righteous in the sight of God. He cannot see us any other way. The, pres- the preparation then. The answer to my question, so what's the answer for a believer who has fallen into a state where he is finding... His heart overwhelmed. Well, my answer may be or seem overly simple. Let me say there is no power and there is no protection in your pondering how well you have done spiritually. Again, let me emphasize this to you. The answer to the devil's attack that causes you to be cast down in spirit and so forth, does not lie in you estimating yourself, how you're doing spiritually, and so that you come to a point where you can change your mind thinking positively. Well, I'm not, I guess I'm not so bad as I was thinking there. I just have to look look a little bit different at myself. I'm really better than what I thought I was. I'm going to make a statement here, and I hope you take it in the right light. If you want to know, if each of you want to know how well you are doing spiritually in and by yourself today, I will tell you how you're doing. One word. Miserably. I don't have to. I can look at myself. 
and make that statement. But I can look at it and I know for certain that when I say that, it's true. As you are walking in and of yourself, by yourself, in and of your own power, you are doing miserably. You know, I can just say, somebody might say, well, how can you say that? <laughs> you don't know. Okay, well, it's just, my answer to that is, we'll just wait for a minute. Now, you start thinking honestly. How are you doing spiritually? Do you think that where you are right now and the way you are right now is going to win you any victory? It is not in and of ourselves that we have the protection that causes us to be at peace. A peace that passes understanding. A peace that is with God. Oh, Paul says something about that, doesn't he? In Romans. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Does it have anything to do with what we're talking about here today? So again, I come to this question. Wherein lies the power of the breastplate? How come this is so strong? Why is this such a, an effective piece of armor against all the wiles of the devil and his fiery darts? <coughs> well, you ask wherein is the power? Here is the course to knowing the power of the breastplate. Two things. Number one, you in your mind must be convinced of Christ. Now, you may say to me, well, you spoke on this subject last week. Are you going to preach that again? You told us to keep your mind stayed on him and your emotions and your mind will be girded. That's right. But here I will call you to be more specific. Here is where the power of this piece of armor is. Consider. Keep in your mind. Dwell on. The fact that the Lord Jesus' work of imputing righteousness to you was perfect. Can I say that again? When the Lord Jesus imputed his righteousness to you as a believer, he did not fail in any part of that imputation. It was perfect. Let me say it a different way. When the Lord Jesus imputed, gave to us, assigned to us, laid on us his righteousness that cannot change, it was sealed and blessed by God. There was nothing that fell short and there was nothing that can be undone. Our righteousness is unending. Why? Because he is preparing us for himself for glory. What Christ did in his 
giving us his righteousness was perfect. You don't have just righteousness before God. You have perfect righteousness before God. You have complete righteousness before God. You have flawless righteousness. Pure righteousness. Again, if you can be made unrighteous in the sight of God after you've come to him, Christ's work and person must be abandoned of God. So keep this in your mind. What the Lord Jesus has done to make me righteous before God was perfect. Now I can look at myself and I can see flaws and I can see faithlessness and I can see failure and I can see sin and I can see all these things. But that's not what God is looking at. You take that which is to guard your heart, your soul, as that which Christ has done for you, the breastplate of righteousness. Second, not only be convinced of Christ, but be content with Christ. Content yourself to run to the truth of your justification. Again, all that long word suggests is that you have been made righteous because the Lord Jesus took your sins away and imputed his righteousness to you. That leaves you just in the sight of God. Go no further in your soul's conclusion than the successful work of Christ. We had a good brother um, in our church, one of our ministers, professors from Greenville, who used to use that thought or that question as his primary point for just about any time anybody asked him something that was of a counseling nature. Of course, those of you who've been in the free church, you will say, you must be talking about Mark Allison. Yeah, I am. Mark's question, whenever you seem to have a problem that was distressing, his counsel would always be, are you justified? Are you justified? You think about that. I am now made righteous with God. That cannot change. Therefore, as I am righteous, I have a perfect standing. I have a standing that cannot be made less. The Lord cannot think of me less. Because he cannot think less of Christ. And I wear the righteousness of Christ. So, what I'm saying to you... Why it is a breastplate, if you will, a a, a piece of armor that guards. You are to consistently, when you find yourself doubting, when you find yourself downcast, when you find yourself in that place where your heart is overwhelmed, run to this thought. Am I accepted with God? Yes. I am just. The Lord Jesus has made me that way. Therefore, I cannot forfeit nor can I be separated from the love of God in Christ. That's a guard. Paul's admonition, think on this. Keep this on. Don't take the breastplate of righteousness off. 
Keep it on. Stand, as it were, before the enemy, always wearing the armor. Don't be forgetful. Well, a second in the listing of what Paul is offering to these people that they are to take to themselves in the warfare that they have against the wicked one. Very important piece to understand. We are righteous with God. Well, amen. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts for Jesus' sake. We are about now to come to the table of the Lord where we are together confessing, remembering that our hope is in the very things that we've been speaking of. May the Lord help us. We're going to sing a hymn before we come to the table, this time number 286.